meeting is being held by WebEx pursuant to the governor's executive orders and mayoral emergency proclamations suspending and modifying requirements for in-person meetings. During the coronavirus disease emergency, the Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee will convene remotely until this committee is legally authorized to meet in person. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by phone call by calling 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. And then access code 2491-119-9416. That's 2491-119-9416. And password 1234. Again, that's password 1234. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star C3 to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. Alternatively, you may submit public comment by email to cgobo.committee at sfgov.org. And it will be forwarded to the committee and will be included as part of the official file. Please note that this meeting is recorded and will be available at sfgovtv.org. Chair Matthews, may I read the land acknowledgement? Yes, please. Thanks, Roseanne. Thanks. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded, unceded. ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula as the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Chair Matthews, may I take roll? Yes, please, thanks. Um, members, please unmute your microphones. Let's see where we are here. Um, Member Larkin, you're going to have to press star six to be able to unmute yourself. Uh, Member Vice Chair Crawford. Present. Member Gein. Present. Member Larkin. I know he's here, but he's muted. Member Larkin, um, you may have to press star six to unmute yourself. He's also over here. He's on both his uh, computer and his phone. I see, I see you. I can't get you to unmute. Okay. 
I should be okay now. Yay, there you are. Thank you. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> Chair Matthews. Present. Member McHugh is absent. Member Pantoja. Here. And Member Sanderlin. Here. Thank you. We have a quorum and for the record, it's 9.35 a.m. Uh, if you could take item two, please, Roseanne. Thank you. Um, item two, adoption of AB 361 resolution, allowing the committee to meet during the COVID-19 emergency by teleconference. Can we move to adopt the resolution? I'll make a motion to adopt the resolution. I'll second. Okay. okay. And we need uh, public comment on this item, please. Sure. Okay. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001 and access code 2491-119-9416. Then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I don't see any hands raised. I'll give them a second and just see. I don't see any hands raised. So may we close public comment? Yes, thank you. All right. Um, may I take a, a vote to adopt? Yes, please. Vice Chair Crawford. Yes. Thank you. Member Gain. Yes. Member Larkin? Yes. Chair Matthews? Yes. Member McHugh is absent. Member Pantoja? Yes. And Member Sanderlin? Yes. Okay, thank you. The resolution is adopted. Great. Uh, you may move to item three, please. Opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2491-119-9416, and then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I don't see any hands raised. Um, may we close public comment for this item? Yes, you may close public comment and move to item four, please. Item four, approval with possible modification of the minutes of the December 12th, 2022 meeting.
like to make a motion to um, accept the minutes. This is second. Great. And may we take uh, public comment, please? Sure. Thank you. Um, members of the public who wish to write, provide public comment on this item should call 415 655 0001. Access code 2491-119-9416, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I don't see any raised hands for this item. Uh, if we may close public comment and conduct the roll call vote, please. Okay, thank you. Um, Vice Chair Crawford? Aye. Member Gein? Aye. Member Larkin? Aye. Chair Matthews? Aye. Member McHugh is absent. Member Pantoja? Yes. And Member Sanderlin? Aye. Thank you, the minutes were approved. Thanks, Roseanne. Uh, we may move to item five, please. Let's see. Item five. Presentation from the city services auditor regarding the whistleblower program, liaison report on the whistleblower program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation and report. Our presenter today is Dave Jensen from the whistle. He's a whistleblower pro program manager. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to present to you today a quick overview of our whistleblower program's recent activities and initiatives. As Roseanne stated, my name is Dave Jensen and I am the manager of this current, uh, currently the manager of this program. Uh, next slide, please. We uh, are uh, going to go through these slides a little bit quicker, as many of you have already seen them in the past. Um, as they are uh, not new, um, we'll just go over very quickly that uh, the authority for the whistleblower program is derived from both state and city law. Next slide, please. Uh, the enabling legislation lays out both what is within and outside of program jurisdiction. Uh, and if you do have any questions about these fundamental slides up at the front, please do get in touch with me. Contact information can be found at the end of this slide deck. Next slide, please. Previous slide talked about uh, what is within our program jurisdiction. Uh, these are reports and types of reports that are outside of our jurisdiction. Um, after we receive reports, whistleblower will triage them, determine whether or not they're within our jurisdiction. When they're not, uh, we get them where they need to go. Next slide, please. Uh, this is a, a review of our current staff uh, members. Uh, we've got a certified fraud examiner. We've got auditors, investigators, a paralegal, and trained policy analysts on staff currently. Next slide. Uh, here we're going to get into some of the numbers uh, that we will be issuing uh, soon in our Q2 report. Uh, these are draft numbers, however, we feel confident in them enough to share them with you today. Uh, but again, these are numbers that are in draft form and will be included in the upcoming Q2 report. On this slide, we detail the number of reports we've received uh, since uh, July 1st, 2013. 
uh, you'll notice that our report intake volume is down in fiscal 22-23 uh, as compared to last year in particular. Uh, you'll recall from uh, my previous visits here, uh, some discussions we had had about the type of reports we were receiving, as many as 10 a day, uh, which didn't have any information that we could uh, work with. Uh, they were a series of links. They didn't lead us anywhere. However, those reports have currently uh, stopped, and uh, that is the, the significant reason why our volume is down. If those types of reports in 21 and 22 were an anomaly, um, I'd refer you back to fiscal years 18, 19, 1920, and 2021 uh, for a sort of more apples to apples comparison of where we are in volume. Um, we're a little bit behind 1920 and 2021. However, we are still a little bit ahead of 1819. Next slide, please. Uh, this slide details how we receive the information that comes to us. Uh, in Q2, we had 143 reports received. Of those, 104 were filed anonymously. Uh, so this just breaks down the how we can uh, receive reports. Um, we will take uh, information from anybody. It is up to the reporter to choose their disclosure status, whether they want to be anonymous or not. Um, and you know how they decide to report is also completely up to them. Uh, we can't be here 24 hours a day, but 311 is available uh, 24 hours a day. Our email line is up, our uh, online intake form is up. Um, anyone can file anytime. Uh, next slide. Uh, this slide uh, just details uh, of the 125 reports that we closed out in Q2. 88% uh, of those were closed within 90 days. Uh, we try to get 75% closed within 90 days. And these, uh, this details all reports closed for all reasons. Uh, so this could have been information that was uh, outside of our jurisdiction as well. Next slide. Of the uh, 125 reports we closed in uh, quarter two, uh, 74 of them uh, were investigated. Uh, the first four columns here were investigated by whistleblower or through our partners. And the last two columns, uh, as previously discussed on slide four, are outside of our program jurisdiction meaning it can, uh, there can be a carve out for, for example, the Civil Service Commission to investigate uh, an appointment process that somebody is raising issues with, or they can be completely outside of our jurisdiction. Uh, we have received complaints about somebody getting a parking ticket in New York City in the past. Ah. Not ours. Next slide. Of the uh, investigations uh, that we kept, uh, we were able to close out 79% of those within 90 days. And again, that's still a little bit higher than the 75% target rate we have. Next slide. Um, this one's a, a little interesting. Uh, this is data aggregated from both uh, Q1 and Q2, uh, showing the percentage of investigative reports that resulted in some sort of corrective or preventative action. Um, and we're ticking up. We don't really have a, a reason for that. Uh, it's the quality of reports that we're getting. Um, and when that sort of corrective or preventative action is required, uh, it's indicated in the report. Um, we can't tweak these numbers. Uh, we get what we get and our findings are our findings. Um, this isn't a number we're trying to like move upward. Uh, it is what it is. And uh, the next slide, please. 
some quick highlights of our initiatives for this fiscal year. Again, closing out 75% of our reports within 90 days, uh, issue our quarterly public reports and our annual report on the status of program activities. And uh, we issued Q1 report uh, early uh, last month. Q2 has not been issued yet, uh, even though we've shared some of the, the data from it, uh, but we'll be uh, getting that one out hopefully in the next uh, several weeks or so. We'll be doing our annual whistleblower training for all city employees. Uh, that's on an ongoing basis. Um, provided through our city's uh, HR system. Uh, we'll also be training our liaisons on conducting investigations that'll happen in probably in May. Uh, we've hosted one national webinar in October and we'll have another one coming up probably the first week of May as well. We've identified the speaker and are just working with them to uh, set a date. And again, uh, we're always taking a look at our policies, processes and systems uh, so that we can uh, provide a better product for the people who, who need us. Uh, that said, uh, I promised you contact information that is on this slide here. Uh, you can always give me a call also at 415-554-7521. And uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions or hear any comments that any of y'all might have. Thank you. Great, thanks, Dave. Uh, always appreciate you and your committee's work, uh, your staff's work. Um, Andrea, you're the program liaison here if you wanna yeah. kick it off, thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. Um, we did have a public comment, I think you probably all saw it, um, that was uh, submitted last week, which I really appreciate those public comments that come in before the meeting so we can um, you know, at least highlight their concerns. Um, so one of their concerns was um, that there was, I guess in the past, I am relatively new to the whistleblower, you know, in this whistleblower liaison role. Uh, but I guess in the past, according to the commenter, there was information in these reports about um, what um, or what proportion of investigations um, of wrongdoing are um, submitted against the controller's office. And that's just information that they would like to see in the future, um, which I thought was an interesting um, point and, and certainly something that, that would be um, good for us to disclose um, in future reports. The other was um, a breakdown of complaints for city departments. So we can kind of, or the public can get an idea of, you know, whether or not there are any hotspots. So I thought there were, those were two comments that I just wanted to highlight. Would you like me to respond? <laughs> we, do, uh, we do call out various city departments in our quarterly and annual reports. And so that detail is published and there is a, uh, what we call the heat map, uh, which breaks out which departments are, uh, are more active than others. And we base that upon the number of employees in the department and any, any department with over 200 uh, employees uh, gets its own line item. And so that information is contained in our quarterly reports. Right. These, these slides are a little different from the yeah. information contained in those quarterly reports. Quarterly reports are much more comprehensive. And uh, if we were to present the quarterlies to you, this would take much longer than it does. Okay, excellent. So that's, I'm so glad you noted that, that that information is still in there and it is available in those quarterly reports. 
Correct. Uh, we've got our quarterly reports going back 10 plus years now that are posted online and available 24 hours a day. Fantastic. Thanks, Dave. Great. Um, any other committee members with questions or comments? Yeah, Matt, uh, this is Bart Ponto through the chair. I, I was, I'm curious on uh, those 74 investigated um, claims. Do, do you find any, I guess kind of goes along with that other question, just like when things trend, is that, you know, is it a certain department where things are coming up or a certain complaint amongst all departments to keep coming up? I think it's a little bit of both actually. Um, when COVID first hit three years ago, um, we got a ton of complaints that people um, were upset that they weren't uh, considered essential. And then we got complaints for people who were considered essential, who didn't want to be considered essential. And so, you know, to the extent that uh, we track what's happening in the general population, yeah, we see that definitely. Um, I think we have also uh, noted after uh, uh, the arrest of Mr. Nuru now three years ago, uh, 2020 was a busy year. Um, we saw a lot of um, complaints related to DPW and also DVI. And so I think we definitely follow the news cycle in, in some of the trends that we can identify in the, the types of reports we receive. Um, you know, we always have a set number of uh, time and attendance type complaints or complaints about um, you know, boss who was unfair or whatever that might be. But um, as the news cycle goes, we definitely will see um, some activity that correlates to what's happening in the in the world around us. And to that point, is that also kind of defining those quarterly reports, or would you see be able to see some of that trend of, in a general way in the those reports? I think uh, I would call everyone's attention to um, the graph we call the heat map. Um, let me see if I can get a page site for you on the most recent quarterly one report, um, but I know it will also be included in the quarterly two report. Um, and that does break out department by department. Um, and then we'll, we'll uh, you'll see it color coded and then some departments are red in that they've got a higher representation in the number of complaints we're seeing versus their employees. And so that's kind of a way for us to equal it out and figure out, okay, what are some of the, the issues that are coming up? And that can be a problematic department. It can be uh, one person complaining over and over again. Um, it can be a little bit of both on that one, but that heat map graph um, will, uh, and let me see again, if I can get you that site, um, we'll, we'll spell that out. Appreciate that, thank you. Just have, I want to go back to uh, Andrew's comments about that came from public comment. Dave, can you comment on the process for complaints relative to the controller's office that is investigating the complaints? Sure. Um, of, of the Q1 report, let me let me finish that one up. Q1 report, okay. the heat map is on uh, page 12. Um, as far as the controller's office. Uh, when we get something uh, with the controller's office, uh, the first thing that we'll want to determine is uh, if it's within CSA, if it's a complaint about us, um, we're going to handle it a little differently than we would otherwise. If it's when, within another division, we typically uh, would use the same process we use for 
um, for other departments. Um, and we've got a liaison on our HR team here um, that we handle that with. If it is internal and can't be handled uh, because, for example, it might be about uh, the HR director's boss, um, we have uh, worked with the city attorney's office to identify a process by which they would um, handle that for us. Uh, if it gets particularly even more complicated, um, and it hasn't gotten there ever yet, um, we have uh, worked out a situation uh, in, the, in the past where we can uh, ship that out to somebody if the city attorney's office is conflicted or needs to be removed from that sort of review process. And in the past, we've, uh, I know at the city attorney's office, uh, they've got an arrangement with the uh, uh, county council's office down in Santa Clara. And that would be something that we would be open to exploring as well if uh, we got in a situation where both uh, internally within the controller's office, it was not appropriate for it to be reviewed that way. Or if it's not appropriate to send it to the city attorney's office, there's that backup as well. Thank you. Great. Thanks, everyone. Uh, last call on committee comments before we go to public comment. All right. Thanks, Dave and team. Um, Roseanne, if we can open this item for public comment. Uh, please be on mute, Roseanne. Thanks. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2491-119-9416, then pound, then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prop will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. So I did see that uh, someone raised their hand. I'm not sure if it was right after the last, we closed the last public comment. Um, so let me see if I can unmute them. Let's see, unmute. So call in user, you might have to press star six to unmute yourself. There you go. Hello? Yes, my name is Francisco da Costa. And um, I've been monitoring the various city departments for the last 40 years. My experience about the whistleblowers program comes from working with the federal government. I strongly feel that the city and county of San Francisco needs drastically to improve the whistleblowers program. You can provide the empirical data to the controller's office and they have a tendency to give it to the city attorney. And um, in many instances, there is no adjudication. I would like you to reflect 
why is it that the former city attorney now is the general manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission when the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission is one of the worst departments within the city and county of San Francisco. For example, the sewer system improvement project started with six billion, is now heading towards 12 billion, and still is progressing and will reach 20 billion in a couple of years. What type of system is this? Where are the checks and balances? And who has the ability within the controller's office and within the city attorney's office to understand vertical and horizontal construction, engineering, and all sorts of contracts with huge companies like AECOM and all who can who have a lot of power and can do whatever they want to. And how much of this is understood by the citizens' general obligation bond oversight? Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. DaCosta. I don't see any other hands raised. May we close public comment? Uh, yes, I'm um, just a question, I guess, for our attorney. Do we read the email that was submitted or is that just included in the minutes? I'm not sure process wise. Uh, it can just be included in the minutes. There's, I mean, if you, if you would like to read it, you can, but otherwise you can just include it in the minutes. Yeah, I, I think that's okay. We've, we've had some. Uh, questions raised because of it. We'll just include it in the minutes. So, um, yeah, Rosanna, if we may close public comment on this item number five and move to item number six, please. Presentation from the mayor's office of housing and community development about the 2015, 2016, and 2019 housing bond programs and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Our expected, our presenters today are Andrea Gremmer, Finance Director, and Johnny Oliver, Director of Preservation. Thanks, Roseanne. Can everyone see my screen? Great, thank you. Uh, good morning, committee members. Thank you so much for the opportunity to present to you today on the city's affordable housing general obligation bonds. I'm Andrea Grimmer, the Finance Director here at the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Johnny Oliver, the Director of Preservation, uh, Lydia Eli, our Deputy Director of Housing, and Benjamin McCloskey, our Deputy Director of Finance and Administration. Our agenda for today, uh, since you don't see us super often, I'm gonna start with a brief overview of our affordable housing go bonds. And then I'll jump into some specific updates on the 2015 and 2019 GoBonds. And then I will pass the baton to my colleague, Johnny, to talk about the 2016 GoBond and PASS program. To start with our brief overview, as I'm sure everyone in this room, this virtual room, is acutely aware, 
Um, there's a serious housing affordability gap issue in the city. Uh, what that means is that even for a person earning the area median income or AMI, uh, affordable housing options are typically out of reach uh, for individuals and families earning below the area median income. The affordability gap is significantly worse. For that reason, the affordable housing go bonds specifically target those communities, low and middle income earners. Um, and for the 2019 bond, as we'll talk about again later, we do include some additional specific groups that we are targeting um, of especially at-risk San Franciscans, uh, educators, and seniors. But before we get into specific updates, um, I do want to talk a little bit about how our affordable housing bonds are really different from other city go bonds. Uh, most city go bonds uh, really just fund one or two big construction projects. Um, and our bonds are different in that we actually make payments in the form of loans to community benefit organizations um, who actually manage and end up manage the construction process and end up managing uh, the ending the ending asset that results. Uh, for that reason, while the 2015 and 2019 bonds may only be one of several funding sources, uh, we are able to fund multiple projects with these bonds. So not just one or two projects, but many. And the reason that actually ends up being more efficient is that city money does tend to be cheaper for these organizations. So it does tend to be one of the first, first sources of funding. And once they can show other funders that they've secured city funding, that can really help to jumpstart development. Uh, there are going to be a couple of Q&A slides sprinkled in the presentation, um, but I think we're going to wait into um, questions at the end, just in the name of time. So to pivot to our 2015 affordable housing go bond updates, as you can see from the slide, we are almost fully spent in the first and second issuances, 99.9% um, .9 and 99.3% respectively as of December. What that means is that there's some some savings that we had in both of those issuances that we are currently pulling and reallocating to other projects. The third issuance, um, which was completed in October 2019, just before the pandemic, um, we still managed to spend about 60% of that as of December. This is our housing bond program summary. This shows uh, where the bond funds are budgeted. As you can see for the 2015 bond, about half of the funds are set aside for low-income housing. And that's this regular low-income housing line and then low-income housing line set aside for the mission. And then we also have funds set aside for public housing. This is mainly at Hope SF and then also for middle-income housing. Our spend down timeline, we are expecting the first and second issuances to be fully spent by the end of 2023. Those are those lingering dollars that we will be finding a good home for in the next few months. And then the third bond issuance is projected to be fully spent in 2024. And that is mainly driven by an allocation to educator housing at 43rd and Irving. And that just started construction uh, maybe six months ago in, in mid 2022. 
this colorful slide uh, and shows where our 2015 affordable housing bond project locations are around the city. New orange dots represent our single family housing locations. Um, or single family homes that have been purchased with loans through our down payment assistance loan program or DELP. Um, and the blue dots represent all of the multifamily projects partially funded by the bond. This is our unit protection summary, which shows very similar information um, in a different format. Um, this is just a list of all of the projects and where they are in the development process. You can see that we've completed quite a few projects and have been able to lease up more than half the units uh, funded by the 2015 bonds, which is super. And then to round out the 2015 bond section, um, we thought we'd wrap it up with some visuals of projects funded by the bonds. So this is 88 Broadway, 735 Davis, down by the Embarcadero, which was completed last year for 115 units. This is a rendering of our Balboa Park Upper Yard projects, um, projected to be completed in 2024, and is a mix of low and middle income units. This is a rendering of 555 Larkin, which you may also know as 500 Turk, um, which was recently completed just a few months ago, I believe, um, with 108 low income units. And last but certainly not least, um, this is a rendering of our 43rd and Irving projects, um, which we are calling Shirley Chisholm Village. And we are projecting that that will, will have 135 units. I'm going to blow past our QA slide and jump right to the 2019 affordable housing bond updates. So it's 600 million, and this bond is almost twice the size of the 2015 bond. Um, and the first issuance alone at 254 million is like not quite $60 million less than the entire 2015 bond. Um, and even so, we, we issued less than two years ago and we still managed to spend almost 50% of that first issuance. So we are moving right along with that spending. Um, we are working on our second issuance with an estimated not to exceed of 172 million. Um, that was approved by the board earlier this month. We are projecting that we will completely spend the first issuance by mid 2024. Um, and we're expecting the second issuance to be completed in late April, 2023, meaning that those dollars will be available to us then because we are moving right along with our spending. Um, we're also anticipating to complete the third issuance um, in early 2024. So same time next year. Um, and similar to the 2015 bond um, in our program summary box below, you can see that we've, we've allocated about a third of the bond to low income housing. And we do also have those specific side-to-sides for senior housing and educator housing. This is just a graphical representation of our expected spending for the first issuance. Um, similar to most bonds, you can see that we're expecting our spending to be really consistent through most of the life of the bond and then sort of taper off at the end as projects start to, to wrap up. Uh, 
this is again a map of our uh, locations currently funded by the 2019 bond, not quite as colorful as the 2015 bond map. Um, our program team is working on the next round of down payment assistance loans and is anticipating holding the next lottery um, in a few months this spring. So hopefully next time you see us, we'll have some, some more colors sprinkled into this like very, very blue map. Then to wrap up the 2019 uh, bond update, this is our unit production summary. So similar to the 2015 bonds, this is a listing of all of our projects and where they are in development. And you can see that more than half the units are currently in construction. And we do have some significant projects on this list, uh, notably Petro Block B at Hope SF, uh, 4840 Mission, and one of the projects at Treasure Island. With that, I will turn it over to Johnny to talk about the 2016 bond and pass program. Thank you. Will you be uh, uh, handling the slides for that for me? Uh, yes, you can just give me a next slide whenever. Okay, ready. Thank you. Okay, uh, 1992 Prop A um, is the is the seismic safety loan um, after the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1992. Um, the, the bond authority for the past program originated with the seismic safety loan program of 92, um, which funded the seismic retrofit of unreinforced masonry buildings. The seismic loan program authorized the issuance of 350 million with sub allocations to fund deferred, the low market and market rate loans. Over the 20 years um, after that, the program was largely underutilized with only 9 million issued. Uh, therefore, the uh, loan program was repurposed as a uh, loan program for our preservation efforts. Um, the loan program is, uh, uh, provides permanent affordability through deed restriction in order to maximize affordability and minimize the use of public resources. Uh, rents must reach an average of 80% AMI uh, with rents capped at 120% AMI. You want to go to the next slide on that one? Uh, to date, the program is largely serving low-income households, earning less than 60% AMI. However, allowing a mix of affordability levels creates an internal cross-subsidy. Uh, in other words, um, units with higher paying rents are helping to subsidize uh, households that are paying lower rents with lower incomes. Um, and that in turn expands the number of eligible projects. Next slide, please. The loan pro the past loan program is flexible and it is a valuable preservation tool for the city and affordable housing developers. Um, it provides uh, low cost uh, debt um, financing for our preservation projects. Um, some of the available uses are seismic retrofit to unreinforced masonry buildings. Uh, acquisition and rehab are definitely a big part of each preservation site that is acquired. Uh, traditionally, it is uh, for the preservation of small sites, 5 to 50 units, but it can also be used for larger units, uh, including SROs. Uh, it is not eligible for new construction or acquisition without rehabilitation. Next slide, please. 
Um, as I mentioned, the, the program provides low-cost, long-term senior debt to complement our um, acquisition and preservation programs, such as the Small Sites Program. Uh, most recently, uh, we closed on 3661 19th Street, a 12-unit building um, here in, in uh, District D8. Um, and in that project, approximately 3 million were used in past financing. Um, if it had not have been for PASS, we would have um, had to use a lot more in city subsidy in order to make that project work. Um, and another um, uh, recent uh, project closing is 3154, 3158 Mission Street, uh, 10 unit building uh, here in the Mission, and um, 4,388,000 in PASS financing was used for that project. Uh, next slide, please. Most loans are structured as permanent takeout financing. Um, for preservation projects, we um, uh, historically have been using the San Francisco Housing Accelerator Fund. Uh, they are able to uh, provide funding for the acquisition and rehabilitation of preservation projects uh, with the permanent past financing coming in once the rehab is complete and the development is, is, is completed. Um, to achieve the lowest cost of capital for as many affordable housing properties as possible, um, each program receives a blend of deferred, below market rate, and market rate funds, uh, and is structured with a 40-year term. Loans funded with the 2019 A bond yielded a blended rate of less than 3.5%. Uh, the blended rate for 2020 C bond is approximately 2.58, and we are expecting our Series X um, to come out at approximately 5.75. But that, of course, is subject to bond market trends. So uh, we will be keeping an eye out for that. Next slide, please. We have almost completely finished using our first tranche of debt, with just a few projects still waiting to close. Uh, they are still in the process of completing the rehab before permanent takeout can uh, happen. Uh, this is a total of 435 residential units and 28 commercial units um, across 24 projects. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, leading up to COVID-19 pandemic, the past loan performed with no defaults, delinquencies, or workouts. Uh, we did have some borrowers struggle, uh, like many organizations during COVID, uh, and work with them to resize loans and offer forbearance. Um, since then, all loans are now back on track. Uh, we have also since then updated our underwriting provisions to better equip sponsors for future downturns by increasing our debt service coverage ratio, uh, from 1.1 to 1.15 and doubling our vacancy assumption. So uh, that in turn helps increase cash flow uh, to projects, uh, allowing for uh, bigger uh, buffers of cash flow should a project encounter future issues. We are also looking into bundling multiple small sites into a single transaction so that they can cross subsidize each other and decrease closing costs. Uh, next slide, please. Um, there are additional projects currently in the pipeline um, for past 2020C uh, issuance. Uh, these are a list of those projects, and we expect these projects um, to fulfill their, their rehab uh, and fulfill their permanent takeout um, by the end of this year. So with that, I will open it up for any questions. Great. Thank you, Andrea, and thank you, Joni, for your presentations. Um, 
I'll quickly just say that I don't, as the liaison for these these bond programs, I, I currently don't have any follow-up questions, um, but I look forward to meeting with both of you and your teams uh, in the coming months for uh, my August liaison report. Um, and so I'll get a little more into details with y'all then. Um, so I am okay. Does the committee have any other questions, comments on these bond programs? Yeah, I have one. This is Brian. Um, in the subsidies or, or the building of, of these submarket rate housing projects, when they're offered to prospective tenants and owners, is there any preference given to people who are residents of San Francisco? I think I've asked this question in other forms before, but I don't know that I've made it as inclusive as this. So in other words, if someone were to have moved here real recently and said, you know, I'd like to get in on this program, is there any preference? Do they get lower priority than someone who's been here, you know, for instance, all his or her life? Uh Member Larkin, this is Benjamin McCloskey, Deputy Director for Finance and Administration. Um, the live and work in San Francisco preference uh, that applies to all of our affordable housing is not time-based. So as long as at the time of application, someone either lives or works in San Francisco, they, they receive that preference in the lottery. And uh, as we've discussed before, I think there are a number of other uh, preferences that the Board of Supervisors has uh, approved that um, that are layered in before even the live work preference is hit. So, for example, if someone has been displaced from their home um, through Ellis Act eviction or some other means, um, that they would receive kind of a higher preference in the lottery than even just someone who lives or works in San Francisco. Okay, that answers the question. Great, uh, thanks, Brian. Um, thanks for that answer. Um, I think that's it from the committee. So, uh, Rosanna, if we can open this item for public comment, please. Sure. Members of the public who, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001 access code 2491-119-9416, then press pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I'm, I don't see any hands raised. Great, thanks Roseanne. We can close public comment on this item and thanks uh, folks for your reports. And if we could move to item seven, please. Item seven. Liaison report on the 2020 health and homelessness 
Parks and Streets Bond Program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. Okay, so I think this is me. Um, Brian and I are working on this together, but I'm taking this report this morning. Uh, so this is the liaison report on the 2020 Health and Homeless Park and Street Bond. Um, by its title, you can tell it covers quite a bit. Uh, so the bond is a 487.5 million bond to invest in health and homelessness, parks and open spaces and right of way repair. Um, bond proceeds are earmarked as follows, 239 million for recreation parks, uh, 207 million for facilities providing treatment and supportive housing for homelessness and mentally ill, um, and 41.5 million for curb ramps, street resurfacing, street structures, and the pedestrian right of way. Um, so as you can tell, there are a lot of uh, players in this bond. So four departments in particular, recreation and parks, public works, uh, homeless and supportive housing, and public health. And I know we have some representatives from those departments on the call this morning. So just a kind of a really quick overview by a department on the status. Uh, Recreation and Parks has issued 170.3 million of their earmarked 239. Um, so well over half. Um, they have a second issuance scheduled for the spring. Um, to date, they have um, spent just 5.4 million and encumbered an additional 53. Um, and this includes investments in uh, neighborhood parks, recovery parks, and citywide parks, such as Golden Gate Park. Um, on the public works front, um, and the majority of the bond issuance is for street resurfacing. Um, and this is primarily uh, spent at this point. Um, 25.8 million of the 41 and a half allocated for public works um, has been spent with additional uh, half a million encumbered. Um, and just of note, this is, you know, one of, of multiple funding sources um, on this front. Um, public health has a total allocated of $60 million of this bond. Um, 18.5 budgeted toward a new behavioral health residential care and treatment. Um, they're currently looking for a site for this. Um, $25 million planned for the Treasure Island residential step-down units. Um, and also included here is uh, additional cost on the emergency room expansion um, at Zuckerberg. Um, and to date, um, from this bond in particular, um, no funds have been spent from public health. Um, and then finally, homelessness and supportive housing, um, they've issued 30 of the $147 million. Um, the goal is to acquire rehab additional 250 units, um, but no funds have been used up for acquiring any uh, real estate relative to this portion of the project. Um, and that's kind of the overview I have this morning, real short and sweet. But status of um, bond issuance and expenses to date. Great. Oh, thanks, member Sanderlin. Um, Larkin. Yeah, Larkin, I, I, I just want to thank Judy for developing and giving this report with zero help from me. <laughs> Judy, I'll, I'll try to be a more assistance next time. Okay. It's okay, Brian. All right. Let the record reflect, Member. Larkin. I did mean to add in one final piece was that um, kind of 
from the team, you know, cited uh, challenges at this point, um, kind of on a couple fronts, which aren't surprising. One is just an unfavorable building building environment, um, supply chain issues, costs, et cetera, um, which we've definitely heard in other reports, um, and then unforeseen site conditions, which um, I'm interested in learning more about Well, thank you, Member Sandalin, for the update on uh, such a wide-reaching bond yes. item. Um, any other uh, questions, comments from fellow board members? Excellent. All right. So we look forward to the program report in about six months. Yep. Um, and in the meantime, I guess uh, we need public <coughs> comment on this item. Um, Roseanne, if we can open up. Okay. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2491-119-9416, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I'm just checking in the queue. Um, I don't see any hands raised. Great, if we could close public comment and move to item eight, please, Roseanne. Liaison report on the 2010, 2014, 2020 earthquake safety and emergency response bond programs. Great. <clears throat> Hello. Hi, I'm Pia Gein. I am the liaison for the 2010, 2014, and 2020 Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Bond Program. Um, so I'll be reporting out on those, and um, we'll start by sharing that I did get to meet with the uh, with Charles Hugueras and the um, uh, project managers um, back in early February to receive an update. And so. Um, here we go. As of December, this is a, a many many projects and and under um, all three of these bond programs. So a um, uh, big shout out to the project managers first and foremost for managing the multitude of projects um, and the complexity of these projects. Um, so as of December 22, the 2002 geo bonds were all sold and 99% appropriated. Um, the bond, this particular bond consists of three projects, which of which two have been um, fully funded, the public safety building and auxiliary water supply system. And, um, and uh, the public safety building has been completed and the budget closed out. The auxiliary water supply system remains in construction phase, but it is approaching completion, which is expected by June, 2023. Um, neighborhood fire stations in this bond are 95% appropriated with one project left uh, with the fire of the fire station 14 generator replacement. Um, the completion date on this particular project is expected for November 2025. Um, the 2014 geo, uh, geo bonds have all been issued and 95% appropriated. Um, this particular bond consists of five projects. Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, Traffic Company and Forensic Services Division, and the Police Facilities Neighborhood Fire Station and Emergency Firefighting Water System. Um, the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner is completed and budget closed out. 
The traffic company and forensic services division is in post-construction stage with staff moved in and final payments made to the construction company and architects. Um, there is one final milestone, which is just the public art installation. Uh, there's been some delays on that, but that is expected to be installed by June 2023 before the budget closeout can be completed. Police facilities for this bond is also in closeout phase with final completion um, uh, pending payment that has that I believe was going to be issued in this month in February. Um, and then the neighborhood fire stations from this bond are in various stages. Uh, again, this is also from projects um, from the bond in 2010, but this is um, uh, has a few projects completed um, that were completed in the fall of 22 um, and some other field work that has begun in January 2023, just um, visiting all the different fire stations for this bond for the modernization project. Um, the, mo the modernization project field survey work began in January 2023. So the completion date of these projects is expected in November of 2025. And the emergency firefighting water system in various stages with continued construction on the one of the supply pipelines, but um, also completion anticipated in, in the summer of um, 2023. And then the la lastly is the 2020 um, GO bonds, which have been 34% appropriated. These were voted in by the voters a couple of years ago, and it has five projects. Um, three of the projects, which are also part of the ESER 2010 and 14 bond program, um, um, and the two uh, the two new projects from this bond are the 911 call center and the disaster response facility um, at Keysar Stadium. Um, and I think that is my report out. Um, it's uh, in regards to the 2020 GO bonds, they have um, since the last report out, which I believe was in February of 2022, um, there has been um, some significant milestones that have been met um, on, the, uh, on the projects for this. But again, just to say that um, many different projects under these three different bond programs, all of which are um, in many ways interrelated. So it was really great to meet the project managers and get their update on all the work that they are doing. So um, a heavy lift, of course, um, but I can try and answer any questions. And I believe that Charles is on this call as well. Great, thank you, Member Dean for that. Um, overview, uh, very informative. Um, I don't have any questions. Does any, do any other committee members, questions, comments? Great. Oh, I guess there. I should just add one last thing that um, many of the challenges that the, the project team is facing is um, similar to um, what member Sanderlin um, also um, mentioned about the projects in their bond, which is the cost impact, supply chain difficulties, um, uh, and, and, you know, the increase in the lumber, steel, and plastic. <clears throat> Very good. Um, Roseanne, if we could take public comment on this item. Sure. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2491, one one nine nine four one six, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. 
and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I'm just checking the queue. Um, I don't see any hands raised. Great, thanks. We can close public comment on this item and thanks again, Member Dean for the report. And if we could move to item nine, please. Item nine, opportunity for committee members to com comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. 9A is the audits unit, public integrity reviews. B, performance unit, public perception survey project. C, the CSA division updates and work plan. D, public finance upcoming bond issuances. E, the C GOBOC FY 2022-2023 work plan liaison and meeting dates, F, return of policy bodies to in-person meetings, and G, uh, geo bond program report submission frequency. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Uh, this is uh, committee members, excuse me. <laughs> this is Natasha Mihal, City Performance Director. I'll help run us through this agenda item. So first I will turn it over to Mark De La Rosa, our Director of Audits. Great, thank you, Natasha. Uh, good morning, everyone, um, committee members. Mark Larosa, Director of Audits for the Controller's Office. On the uh, first item um, under 9A, uh, public integrity, uh, since December 2022, uh, since the last time that you met, uh, we have issued uh, one public integrity report, which is our 24-month um, update on the uh, recommendation status for the uh, public integrity assessments that we have issued thus far. Um, so that makes for a total of 11 deliverables uh, related to our public integrity work. Um, based on the report that we issued in December, um, about 60% of, of the uh, recommendations that we've led so far have been either implemented or partially implemented and the rest are in progress in terms of their implementation. Uh, we are currently working on uh, two additional um, reports. One is an audit of the uh, landfill agreement that the city has with Recology, um, and the other is on our um, assessment of, uh, of SFPUC, the Public Utilities Commission's uh, procurement process. Um, that basically is our update. Happy to answer any questions. Okay, maybe we'll just move on to the second one. So on the performance side, the public perception survey project. So at the last meeting, we did present the results of the last uh, survey project that we did. I think we can either take this off the agenda or keep it here as a note. Um, if committee members are thinking of wanting to do another type of public perception survey, um, if anyone is interested in that, they can let me know uh, through Roseanne after the meeting, and then we can figure out if this should be a, a recurring item or not. Any questions or comments? So on C, the CSA division. Sure. Oh, yes. Um, I do have a question. So what was the cost on the survey? I will have to look that up as we're talking. It was not insignificant. Um, but I have to get back to you on that one. I think we should consider surveys in the future, but definitely the cost, you know, we don't want to spend money, uh, frivolously, but, um, 
that's my my two cents. I think that's really helpful. I think uh, survey methodology is changing all of the time, actually. Um, and so it shouldn't be as expensive as we want it to be unless it's really, I think, worth the effort. So I will get back to you with the cost for that one. For C, CSA division, uh, since I'm here, I will go first. Um, so since we have met, we uh, issued either right before that meeting or since a slew of annual reports. So uh, in the attached memo in the agenda, we've issued the fiscal year 22 annual performance measure report for all departments. This includes performance measures for everyone and then some descriptive highlights of some of the uh, high priority measures for the city. In fact, we're going to be presenting to the Budget and Finance Committee this Wednesday. Um, as always, we are trying to encourage the use of performance measurement in the budget process. Um, so we'll be bringing in Public Works, the Fire Department, and the Department of Emergency Management to really highlight street cleaning response, 911 response, and ambulance response. So we'll see if this is a model to do some work with that committee um, ahead of the busy budget season. We also issued um, the fiscal year 22, Our City, Our Home annual report, which I believe I talked about last time. We have issued the fiscal year 22 park standards report. So this is the um, requirement that actually helped fund uh, begin the city services auditor division to measure the maintenance standards of city parks. So there's a really interesting um, uh, online viewer where you can really dig in to the different neighborhoods to see um, how they're scoring across a range of standards, everything from lawn maintenance to um, trash cans and trees. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting data set. Uh, and then the final one to highlight um, was the annual report on our nonprofit monitoring and um, compliance program where we coordinate um, uh, monitoring of nonprofits across 12 departments in the city that actually cover about 85% of all funding of the about $1.4 million that nonprofits receive in city funding for the year. Uh, we did present that also to the Board of Supervisors uh, Government Accountability Committee a couple weeks ago, along with audits. Um, and there's going to be more work on our side to expand into um, how to create better standards for city departments to monitor performance, both within um, contract uh, creation, what standards are you putting in a contract, and how are you monitoring performance throughout the life of that contract. Uh, in the memo, it also lists some of the other um, updates that we've published. Any questions for me? Not I'll hand it over to Mark. Yeah, just very quickly, uh, similar to uh, Natasha's report out, uh, we also have a memo from CSA audits that is part of your packet, uh, which lists all of the issuances um, from our audit division since your last meeting. Uh, among them are a number of uh, compliance audits that we've uh, issued um, at the airport and port. Um, in addition to all of that, we continue to work on our FY22-23 work plan. Um, uh, as, as you know, we, we have a number of, um, of performance audits that are in the works uh, related to uh, various um, uh, key business processes throughout the city, from procurement, contracting. Uh, we also have a couple of engagements related to nonprofits, 
Um, and we uh, continue to also um, uh, work on a few risk assessments. Uh, risk assessments really help us in developing our work plan for the future. Uh, so we're doing that for our uh, uh, construction and geo bond audit program as well as nonprofits. Um, in addition, um, as a part of your uh, earlier agenda item, we also uh, continue to administer the whistleblower program and CSA audits as well as follow up with our recommendations um, every six months. Um, above and beyond the, uh, the audit work that we do, we uh, continue to uh, still support the, uh, the ongoing uh, COVID-19 uh, emergency, which as we all know, um, uh, the uh, actual emergency will be uh, uh, sunsetting from, from a federal perspective uh, per FEMA in May. Um, our role there is basically uh, to help the city in pre-auditing our costs in submitting our uh, cost recovery uh, submittals and, and, and uh, claims to, uh, to Cal OES and FEMA, uh, just to make sure that the city re recovers as much of our costs as possible. Great. Uh, real quick, I want to acknowledge and thank uh, Natasha and Mark uh, and your respective teams for all the essential work that y'all conduct. I think it's uh, extremely vital uh, piece of, of this committee's work and the work of the city. So, so thanks, folks. Thanks so much for that. Uh, next, I will turn it over to, I think it looks like Vishal for the public finance upcoming bond issuance item. Thank you. Uh, good morning, members of the committee. Uh, so uh, as you will note in the memo in the packet, uh, and I believe was referred to in some of the previous presentations, we did get board approval for uh, a few new money issuances uh, this spring, a board approved in February, $30 million for the next uh, health and recovery bond issuance. This will be for parking rec projects, uh, as well as a second issuance for the 2018 seawall bond for the port and uh, in the in the amount of 42 million and uh, the second issuance of affordable housing bonds, which was mentioned today, uh, not to exceed 172 million. We're planning to uh, price and issue those uh, in April of this year. We're, we're working on the disclosure right now. Uh, later on, potentially uh, next fiscal year, uh, we uh, also was mentioned today, the there might be a final issuance for the PASS affordable housing bonds, the 2016 PASS program. And uh, not listed, uh, we will be monitoring the, the bond markets to potentially uh, weigh the, the feasibility of a, a geo refunding bond as well. Uh, but more to, more to come at subsequent meetings for that. Uh, if we have any questions, I'd be happy to take them. Thank you. Okay, the next item uh, is about uh, our work plan and um, meeting session. So in April, uh, we have one program report from the seawall bond and we have two liaison reports. Uh, and so it looks like both of those are Chair Matthews and Member Larkin. So the first is the transportation and road improvement and the second is pavement, paving and street safety. So those two items are on the calendar for next time. Mm -hmm which I think will go well with a future item where we're going to talk about reports. But I think the first thing that we're going to talk about, and maybe Roseanne, I can have you give a little bit of information about um, the return uh, to in-person meetings that all policy bodies in the city are having to do. Oh, thanks, Natasha. Um, 
as of March 1st, we are asked to come back to meeting in person. And um, I have Deputy City Attorney Mark Blake here, and he um, will talk about the legalities of it all. <laughs> okay. I, you know, I don't know if you can see me. Uh, my, uh, can you, you hear were, me? You were we, on we camera. I see you earlier. Yeah, yeah no, I, I know. And so I've kind of disappeared. You but disappeared. I, but I, but I'm here. I, I, I assure you, I'm, I'm here. Uh, nonetheless, uh, our office uh, on January 10th sent around a memo, apprising uh, departments uh, and and clerks and the like, regarding the uh, the new policies regarding in-person attendance. And so, uh, basically, the emergency orders of the governor and mayor are expiring on February 28th. And so, beginning March 1st, first all uh, members of public bodies must be physically present to participate, vote, and count toward a quorum. And there are some narrow uh, exceptions for parental leave and, and disabilities for which we can make accommodations. But otherwise, it is, you know, back to the future after March 1st. Um, and if there are any questions, that's it. Yep, so if any of you need to um, participate remotely for uh, parental leave or for ADA reasons, uh, please email me because there is a form um, that has to be sent to the Department of Human Resources uh, just to review your request for um, to be excused from, from coming in person. Are there any questions? So Roseanne, you will let us know the room location at yes. City Hall um, ahead of the meeting. It'll be nice to meet everybody in person. Yes, it'll, it will be on the agenda place. too. Great, thanks yeah. so much. And then our final item here um, is on GeoBond programs report submission frequency. So currently, we hear each um, bond program twice a year, one time from the program team and one time on the other six months from the liaison. Over the past in, in GOBAC history, there's been um, different ways that reporting off cycle has been required. There has been uh, quarterly reporting required, uh, which would just be a memo submitted to the committee every quarter on a bond program. We have also had, when the liaison reports, a department, uh, the bond program would submit a written report at that time. And so this is the opportunity for us to set some standards for these. And I know uh, Vice Chair Crawford, you had some thoughts on, on this one? She, um, Vice Chair Crawford had to leave early. Sorry. No. Oh, sorry. I thought it's I saw okay. her there. Okay. So I guess we'll have to get from her. I, the other individuals here, I'm not sure what your preference might be. Any committee members have thoughts on this item? What's the current number of uh, bonds programs in our portfolio, if you will? Eight. Eight. We can also 
I don't want to put off a decision necessarily, but we can follow up by email on this one. I think do liaisons feel that when they are doing their report, they're getting the correct level of information? Or do you think another written report should happen at the same time you're doing your report? So through the chair, so um, Natasha, what you're saying is, so a program makes a report once a year and then liaison makes a report once a year is kind of where we're at right now? The presentation, yes. Okay, and then when the liaison gives a report that that program representative will have submitted a report as a reference? That's how it had been. I think there's there's some consistency in that, but not necessarily. So that now, is one option we could make true. So, so now that second report, so for example, I'll just take one of my, so the park spawn, so they, they uh, actually the next next month is seawall so or next meeting is seawall so they do their report i'll meet with them prior to that uh, but i won't give my report until the following year so the program report for seawall is up next in april and then six months after that would be your liaison report so in my so when i give my liaison report six months later i think it would make sense for the seawall had to send an updated report so that, well, so I, I mean, I shouldn't be giving their report. I'm giving a report as a liaison, right? So Correct. they should submit a report that, you know, would help us all, I think. So that would kind of keep with that twice a year that a department is submitting information. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any need for a standardized quarterly reporting? I, I mean, I, I think twice a year is pretty good. Well, something like seawall, it's a mat, it's going to be, it's, we're looking at the next 20, 30 years of this. So um, in that regard, I would say no, but maybe some of the others. But is it possible to maybe get a quarterly report that's just kind of consistent across each bond, just a status, you know, amount issued, spent, I mean, something kind of a snapshot quarterly of every program that not a full blown up presentation, just kind of a, a snapshot of the status. On a quarterly basis? Yeah. So in the interim of the, you know, formal presentations, we're still getting, you know, status spending information. We can we can look at the feasibility of that. I think it's as much work for a department in some okay. ways to do that I'm amount. To make more work. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it is still at your discretion. So it could be that we at least standardize right now that a department should submit a report at the time of a liaison report, and it, the a, a committee member could choose to request a quarterly report as well as will investigate on the back end of the feasibility of doing a snapshot quarterly report okay yeah that um that sounds reasonable i personally i, I think the twice a year um once before the program report well the program report and then before the liaison report is uh i think more than enough um you know particularly for committee members um you know kind of our call is to ensure that broadly the program spend is in line with the voter initiative um and you know sort of like busy work of quarterly reports and spending it's useful but i don't i don't think too exactly what 
my role is here, how I how I see it. So I'm I'm more of a twice a year kind of committee member. I'll just say that and actually this is for clarification. When the liaison committee meets with staffers from the program, we can expect then a written report other than, you know, you know, a new one of beyond the, the annual one that they do six months after or before we give ours. So we would see a new written report at that time, the liaisons would. So would that be different than the six month report since it's about the same time period? No, I, I think that would be fine. I, I just, okay. this, I'm asking for, for clarification because I, I didn't want to go to a liaison meeting with the only, the only written backup I have is, is a six month old report. Okay. Great. That makes sense. Should have the report at the liaison meeting. Okay, so we will clarify with the bond programs um, and we'll track and see how this goes moving forward. Any questions on this entire item nine? I have a question. So do you need a, is this an action that we need to take a vote or anything on? I would leave that to Roseanne, but I see this as an administrative task in some ways about meeting preparation materials. If it doesn't happen, I think we set it as a policy, probably. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Great, um, so I think this is my cue to ask for public comment. Sure. Um, item nine. Thank you. Um, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, should call 415-655-0001, access code 2491-119-9416, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. I don't see any hands raised. Great, we can close public comment and thanks again, uh, Mark and Natasha for you and your staff's work uh, supporting this committee. Um, and I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. Larkin. I see a hand from Larkin, I'll second it. Larkin, Larkin Matthews, okay. Let's do it. For the record, it's 10.57 um, a.m. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, folks. Yeah, see, you see you in person you. in two Thanks months. Everyone. See you in person in, in April. In person, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We got that to look forward to. Yay.